this is the truth. When we follow after God, life just doesn't make much sense. It's simply not true that we have hope for life beyond this life. The choices we make now matter for eternity. That abundant life is found in following Jesus. That we were created to live in relationship to God. But before anything, you must know that hard work and caring for yourself is the way to survive. Many people I know have this philosophy. Believing in God is a crutch for weak-minded people. I refuse to believe under any circumstances that we can truly discover our destinies if we follow after God. Whether you believe it or not, this is the truth. You should know that I believe exactly the opposite. This is the truth. Whether you believe it or not, if we follow after God, we can truly discover our destinies. I refuse to believe under any circumstances that believing in God is a crutch for weak-minded people. Many people I know have this philosophy that hard work and caring for yourself is the way to survive. But before anything, you must know that we were created to live in relationship to God, that abundant life is found in following Jesus, that choices we make now matter for eternity. We have hope for life beyond this life. It's simply not true that life just doesn't make much sense when we follow after God. This is the truth. Well, all right. Upside down living or living upside down. That's the next installment of that that we're diving into this morning. It's kind of interesting because after last week's Easter message, and, and we love it when this happens. We had a very robust discussion about what exactly is that, the title of this series. What, what exactly is life upside down? And even biblically speaking, right, you, can, you could look at it and say, life as we live apart from Christ is life upside right side up, and, and the Bible even refers to it sort of that way at times when it, when it says things like, Jesus Christ, the King of kings, is the servant of servants. Isn't that upside down? Uh, when it talks, for example, in the Bible about how God's wisdom is foolishness to many people. And today we're going to talk about another one that's very similar to that, that weakness is where we find strength. And that sounds to our natural ears like life upside down. But in this robust discussion, which I was loving, the person pointed out to me, isn't it really true that God is the creator, God is the redeemer, God is truth, and therefore, when we align ourselves with the creator of the universe, the redeemer of the universe, at the cost of his own life, by the way, and, and when we live aligned with his truth, isn't it really that that's life right side up? And that this life that we're living now, insofar as it's apart from Christ, is life upside down? Well, I'll have to say my... Thoughts were provoked by that dialogue, and maybe yours are too. And so what we're talking about this morning is one of those things. 
that might feel like life upside down to us, weakness is strength. What? But in reality, it's truth, especially when we look at it the way the Apostle Paul was. So all of this dialogue led me to um, an experiment that was carried out in the mid uh, 20th century, the 1950s, that I, it, it, the dialogue caused me to recall this experiment, and it, crazy experiment, experiment by an Austrian um, researcher. And uh, in Innsbruck, Austria, he and his research assistant designed by hand a set of glasses that were equipped with mirrors. And when they were put on, you, the person who had them on saw everything upside down. And they were like, what's this going to do? When I try to ride a bicycle, how's that going to go? When I see a balloon floating in the sky, am I going to be weirded out by the fact that the balloon is actually floating down? Like, how's this going to be? When I want to reach for a glass of water, how's that going to go? And at first it went horribly. The person could not figure out what was up and what was down, and everything seemed crazy and disoriented. It truly was life upside down. And then something strange began to happen. Can you guess? I'll bet you can guess. Slowly but surely, the person's mind began to adapt to what his eyes were seeing. And it, it only took, can you guess? Three weeks before this research assistant of the Austrian professor was living life Normally, even though he still had the, the goggles on, the upside-down goggles, he was functioning and living as if normal because his mind had adjusted to what his brain was telling him, and now upside-down for him became right-side-up. I want you to think about that for a minute. Because this is why we can have a robust dialogue <laughs> about what is life upside down. Because for most of us, there are elements of our culture, elements of our own beliefs that we got from our parents or our grandparents or other family members, elements of things we've heard around the world that cause us to put upside down goggles on and not want to live aligned with God's truth, not have that desire fully to do all the things that God tells us to do. And insofar as that's what we do, we're living life in falsehood, right? And that means we're living life upside down apart from Christ. And that's why sometimes the Bible explains things as if it's going to sound weird. God's wisdom, Paul says to the Corinthians, as he writes in his first letter, is going to sound like the dumbest thing you've ever heard. It's going to sound like foolishness to you. It's not going to factor up. And so, you have to realize the world that you're living in. And today, Paul's going to say something like that. He's going to say, sometimes, man... I'm hurting. Sometimes life 
is topsy-turvy for me because of the pain I experienced, because of the attacks. Now, a little context right before I read what I'm about to read to you is, is that Paul had written a first letter to this church in Corinth, and it had been a little bit of a scathing letter because he had not been able to really persuade them to get their life right side up with God. And they were doing some things that Paul knew would lead to their own self-destruction as a church and as individuals. And so he comes at that hard. Even he would admit that he came at it hard. Well, Paul also had this wherever he went and started a church. He had groups of people that would sort of follow in his trail and try to attack what he had taught these churches. If you read the book of Galatians, you'll find that there was a group of people that came after Paul and said, you know, Jesus is good, we're happy he's the Savior, but he's not quite enough. If you really want to be saved, if you really want to be forgiven, if you really want to have a relationship with God, believe in Jesus and make sure you follow the Old Testament Jewish customs, particularly circumcision. Well, in Corinth, you had the same thing, but not that group. This group of people that were trailing after Paul were, they wanted to personally attack the guy. And they came down on Paul as if, well, why are you Corinthians listening to this guy anyway? All he does is he wants to attack and criticize you. And this guy, look at how Paul operates. When he writes you a letter, and you know, like what we say about social media today, when he's plunking away on his Instagram, man, he sounds mean. On his Twitter, he sounds firm. But get face-to-face -face with him? He's kind of a wiener. And Paul has to write back, and he calls these people that are attacking him personally, he calls them, oh, the super apostles. Okay, I get it. These are the guys that really have it down pat. They know what they're teaching. They know what they're doing. Me, <laughs> I'm just a regular old guy, which truly that's what the apostle Paul was, if you read his writings, a regular guy who, however, had been set right side up by his trust in Jesus Christ. And so now, with that context, I'm going to read to you what Paul is, is writing to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, 1 to 10. And you'll get, when he opens up this with, I must go on boasting, he's not really boasting, he's just saying, look, compared to what these super apostles are saying about me, this is going to sound like I'm boasting. All right, so let's read. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. By the way, Paul is talking about himself here, this man in Christ, okay? He uses the third person, but it's him, and we, you'll see that later. Whether it was in the body I was caught up to the third heaven or out of the body, I don't know if it was physical or just spiritual. I do not know, but God knows. That's the important thing. I was caught up to paradise. That's what the third heaven is. 
Paul tells us. First heaven, the sky. Second heaven, the stars, the moon, the sun, outer space. Third heaven, where God lives, okay, paradise. And I, there I heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. See, that's how we know it's Paul. He, said, he switches now to first person. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So life upside down, what causes us, and this is your first fill-in if you want to grab a pen and start filling in your notes for today's message, what causes us to see the world upside down? I think that's an important question. Why are we not just, if we are God's creation, I mean, isn't that a logical question? If I'm God's creation... And if it's God empowering me and God sharing his wisdom with me, why is it not just natural for me to align myself with the truth of God? And in fact, there are quite a few people that believe it is natural for us to align ourselves with God. They will say things like, we're all children of God, God created us all, uh, our mind and God's mind, they're kind of in sync. The problem with that view is, well, everything. Everything. <laughs> The problem with that view is it does not align with what I read on the internet, does not align with, I see, with what I see and hear on social media feeds, does not align with the news. People are not living in the love that God calls us to live in. We are not living in the self-sacrifice that God himself not only calls for, but displays. We are not saying it's not all about me, it's all about God, and it's all about my neighbor. We're not because we're not naturally aligned with God. It takes a lot of work on God's part to turn us around, and that's actually the Old Testament word for repentance means that. A person's going this way, and God says, whoa, buddy, <laughs> you know where that path is going? Yesterday in our, in our uh, Christian Essentials 2 class, we talked about this. What is God's law about? Well, one way, you can look at the law as God's do's and don'ts, but if you read Psalm 1, what you see is God's law is really saying, hey, brother, hey, sister, that path you're on, speeding down? 
there's a cliff over there. And you're about to dump yourself over it. And that ain't going to be fun for you. So instead of this path, God's law would say, how about, how about we move over to this path, the right side up path? The path that doesn't lead to self-destruction, but the path that leads to thriving. To, as we talked about in CE2 yesterday, the path that leads to an abundant life. Why not be in the path of God's blessings? Why not walk that path? And so the first thing we have to understand is, look, it's not natural. We need God. We need God to point out the path that we're on, which we call God's law, that leads to self-destruction, and to point out the new path that leads to victory and life and abundance and blessing. So let's reread the first part of what, what Paul is saying here. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. So Paul is given this amazing supernatural experience. He doesn't know if it's physical. He don't know, it doesn't know if maybe it was just a dream or something spiritual that happened to him. And he doesn't care. He says, you know what's important is God knows. I had this amazing experience. And whatever the super apostles might be saying about me, no one can take away that God gave me this amazing experience. And this probably happened before Paul even became an apostle and became one of the driving factors that he wanted to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. So he goes on and he says, I'll boast about a man like that. But me? When God found me, I was on the wrong path. And I was speeding down that path as fast as you could go. I was on a motorized vehicle, four-wheel drive. Nothing was going to stop me. I was headed over that cliff. And you know what's weird about him admitting that about himself? Anybody on the outside would have looked at the Apostle Paul and said, that's an amazing man. So smart. He was taught by one of the, the best teachers of his day, a guy named Gamaliel like the Harvard of his day. So kind. So determined to live according to God. To live a life of very high character. Anyone looking at Paul from the outside would have said, that guy's on the right path. Paul thought he was on the right path. But he needed to learn that he was living upside down. And that God needed to right his ship. And so he says, look, I can't boast about me. I know what path I was on. I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. Look, God really gave me some of these amazing experiences that brought me into the Christian faith. From the very beginning, I don't know how many of you know the story of how Paul even became a Christian. On the road to Damascus, Christ himself confronted Paul in a vision. Like, that's all amazing stuff. So I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from doing all that so that no one will think more of moi, me. It's not about me, Paul is saying. 
And insofar as I've made it about me, that's what led me down the wrong path. Or because of these surpassingly uh, great revelations, therefore, and I want you to underline this phrase, if you've got your pen, I love studying the word with you, you know that, right? If you've got your pen, I want you to underline this phrase, in order to keep me from being conceited. You know what conceit is? You know what conceit is. You've met people that you think are pretty conceited. And, and what is it that you're saying when you say, man, that guy, that dude, his confidence, which seems pretty unwarranted, is so sky high, where does he get it from? That dude's conceited. Maybe you've even seen it in yourself at times. Man, why did you say that? What in the world were you thinking? That was just pure conceit. Thinking about yourself, putting yourself ahead of everyone else. That's what conceit is. It's pride. It's arrogance. Paul says, that's the path I was on. That's the path that was going over the, over the cliff. That's the path that was destroying me back then. I had been taught and I easily grabbed hold of because it's natural for all of us to make it all about me. And so I, I'm not going to do that now. I'm under Jesus, who was the last person to make it all about Jesus. Why? Because he wanted to be, as we discussed earlier, our perfect sacrifice, our perfect substitute, because he was not thinking about Jesus, he was thinking about Jeff and Dustin and all the members of Micah Tam and all the members of Amazing Love. He was thinking about us. He was making us first. And because he was making us first in order to redeem and save and forgive us, he went and hung on a cross willingly, willingly allowed those soldiers to nail his hands and feet to the cross after he had been beaten silly. Beaten more than just silly, beaten almost to within an inch of his life. And then rose in great victory. We just celebrated that. And the beauty, the elegance of that truth, that's what leads us to living in Christ's power, Christ's resurrection power, rather than in our own. That's what leads us to say, guys, it's not about me. It's about him, the guy that hung on a cross because he's my redeemer, my savior, my Lord, my source, not just of grace, although that is of first importance, but also my source of strength and power. Because the two really can't be separated, right? What, what is our power? It is in God's grace. And what is God's grace? It's Him sharing His power with us. 
the power for forgiveness, the power for life, the power for abundance. He shares it with us. And so Paul says, and he, in doing this, he tells us exactly what gives us our upside-down goggles. And he uses one word for it. It's the word I had you underline. Conceit. Conceit. Pride, arrogance, making it. Help me finish this. Making it all about moi. Thank you. Right? That's what turns our world upside down and messes everything up. And so we need to be ready for this. Now, watch how God warns us on this, going all the way back to the Old Testament. Put that slide of Isaiah up. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. For all the cedars of Lebanon, tall and lofty, and all the oaks of Bashan, these are metaphors for people that think they're all that. For all the towering mountains and all the high hills, for every lofty tower and every fortified wall. And, and often people build these things because they are arrogant. Go back, reference the Tower of Babel. What was the Tower of Babel? A monument to humanism. A monument to the power of people. And, and by the way, that's always scary. Reference the discussion going on right now about open AI, artificial intelligence. Is that today's Tower of Babel? I don't know the answer to that, but it's a good question to ask. For every lofty tower and every fortified wall, for every trading ship and every stately vessel, the arrogance of man will be brought low and human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And the idols, all those ships, all those mountains, all those lofty towers like the temple in Jerusalem, will one day crumble and disappear. Here's what I want you to write down, because this is the important thing to remember so that you don't get on that path that goes over a cliff. Conceit is a set of upside-down goggles. That will turn your world upside down and not in a good way. Now Paul goes on and he tells us something that seems upside down to us because we've been wearing our upside down goggles for so long. He's going to tell us, you know, when you're weak, when you're a failure, when other people are calling you a no account, a good for nothing, consider that a blessing. Because there's a big advantage to weakness and foolishness and all the things we kind of naturally want to despise to failure. There's a big advantage. So write this down. What is the big advantage of weakness and hardship? Paul goes on, and he's going to talk about why it's so hard for us to see things. Have you heard the story? This happened a number of years ago about the plane that almost went down with several hundred passengers in it, just escaped uh, going fully down by a few thousand feet apparently. 
what, what happened was in the middle of the flight with all the passengers on board, the plane started to get buffeted by turbulence. And, the, and the, um, the pilots responded to this. And that's when it got weird. Because as the pilots responded to this, they were very experienced pilots. They had a very good, strong intuition. The problem was the weather wasn't serving them well that day. And while they're responding to this emergency, they... Um, they all of a sudden discovered all these things going wrong. Two engines shut down of the four. The plane started bucking up and down wildly. And then it started to go into a depth spiral. And things were swinging right and left with this airplane. And these pilots were like, are, are, we, going to, are we going to send this plane into the, into the ground with hundreds of passengers on board, and just at the last minute, they were able to get control of the jet and get the engines, the engines came back on and gain altitude and then make an emergency landing as close by as they could. And then the investigators, as they always do, come in. And you know what the investigation showed? The investigation showed that it was all the pilot's fault. Except for that initial turbulence, what caused the plane to do every one of those things, including the engine shutting down, including the ups and downs and left to rights, was the pilots responding to their own emotions and points of view with no reference point outside of themselves, not remembering they had an outside reference point. Where was it? Can you tell me? right there in front of them on what is called an instrument panel, which they did not believe was correct, but it was. Do you know how many biases we have? I made a list. You've heard of some of these. When we're making decisions and choices and reacting in the moment, did you know that you suffer from a selection bias where someone cherry picks what they want to see so it fits their view? Did you know you suffer from confirmation bias where someone ignores things that don't fit their view, sometimes called expectation bias? Did you know you suffer from attention tunneling where someone becomes so fixated on one thing that they, ignores, that they ignore everything else? We're not done. Availability bias? where an event happening to one person makes another think it's more likely to happen to them. One pilot's instrument failure makes another think theirs did too, even though it didn't fail at all. Authority bias, this likely happened on that jet, where someone believes something is true when the source is a famous or authoritative figure. A captain telling a co-pilot that an instrument has failed makes the co-pilot believe it. Why? Because that's the captain talking. And finally, there's more, but I, I limited myself. Group think where social pressures are, I'll, I'll finish this in a second. Think about today. Think about our world today and what's going on. Group think where social pressures to conform or avoid disharmony make people buy into bad decisions. Those are all biases that every human being struggles with. And what often causes us to make 
ungodly decisions because we're struggling to make good decisions. What is our instrument panel that will guide us in the storms of life, in the turbulence of life? When things are foggy and when we're disoriented, do you know what your instrument panel is, Christian? I'm going to put one on display for you right now. This is really cool. Lots of dials and all kinds of other stuff. See, see all the dials in here? No, there's no dials on your instrument panel. There's a lot of words, but these words are the truth that will put you right side up. And understand that we're all going to struggle because we're human and we're sinfully human. We're going to struggle to want to go here and read the instrument panel. But if you do that, all oh, the wisdom you can find, the peace you can find, the joy that's waiting for you, why come to church? Why have a devotion at home? That's what CE2 was all about, learning how to feed yourself and strengthen your own faith. All because that is referencing the instrument panel and flying by instruments when life is hard. Now, how does Paul do that? Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power, Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What's the big advantage to us of the times when we go through weakness and hardship? Simple. Christ's power resting on us, Christ's power resting on us, living by the instruments, will help us see things right side up. I'm going to share one last quote and then the next step. There's a Luther quote I want you to see. Do not look for Christ with your eyes. Don't be like those pilots just flying by what they can't see because it's too foggy. Don't look for Christ with your eyes. Put your eyes into your ears. What he means by that is look for Jesus and his power by listening. Listening to what? The kingdom of God is a hearing kingdom, not a seeing kingdom. Here's your eyes. Here's your instrument panel. Fly by this, live by this, be on this path, and you'll experience grace, forgiveness, mercy, a savior from all your sins, and the wisdom to live your life right side up. Here's your next step. I will trust my instruments and live in God's strength even when it feels like weakness to me. Would you join me in the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 
From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right.